Well, did you enjoy a silent night last night, maybe the night before? I heard about a family here on uh, uh, the holidays, Christmas time. They were uh, trying to enjoy a silent night, sleeping, when a burglar broke into their house. Um, obviously, here at Christmas time, there's a lot of um, goods that we've collected, things that we have in our house, and burglars find it to be a ready opportunity to go into a home and take the things they want. Uh, this particular burglar made his way into the house in the very deepest, darkest part of the night. And um, it was working his way through the family room. And the, the house was completely black. And he heard a voice say, Jesus is watching you. No kidding. So he stood frozen still, clicked off his flashlight, and just stopped and waited to see what was going to happen next. And some time went by, and realizing nothing was really happening, and he couldn't figure out what to do with the voice, he figured after some time, he'd just keep on doing what he'd been doing. So he worked his way over to the Family Entertainment Center and was reaching for a brand new DVD player and about to put it in his bag, and he heard the voice, Jesus is watching you. And he stopped, and the light was off this time, and his heart was just beating out of his chest. Looking around the room with his flashlight, casting it around, the light beam landed on a birdcage. <laughs> there was a parrot, and he began chuckling to himself and clicked the light back off, turned back over to the light switch, or to the, to the DVD player, and as he was reaching for it again, he said out loud, did you say that? As though the bird's going to respond. And the bird merely said, Jesus is watching you. He began laughing to himself that he had become so upset over a parrot that he actually took the DVD player and put the DVD player in his bag. And he said, what's your name, bird? And the bird said, Moses. <laughs> and the burglar said to the, to the bird, what kind of family names their parrot Moses? And the parrot responded, the same type of family that names their pit bull Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and the heart begins beating again. <laughs> when you think of a silent night of peaceful moments, what do you think of? What's your definition? What can you point to, however brief they may be? What do they look like? More importantly, what's your definition of peace? How do you define it? Webster's Dictionary defines peace this way. It's commonly understood as the absence of hostility. That's the way we would view it in America, the absence of hostility. Peace can be interrupted so quickly. An unexpected news report, a bad medical visit, a cell phone call, a bank statement, and our peace is interrupted. Would you consider peace to be time-limited? I thought this morning before we celebrate communion together that we would take a look one more time at the concept of surrender, only this time through how we achieve peace through surrendering. So what I've come up with this morning is just six very specific biblical definitions for peace. And I'm going to show you each of those definitions as we move through them. 
So I'm going to ask you this morning to think about this. As you analyze this past year, you think about the times that you've experienced peace or the absence of peace, can you point to more moments of peace in your life or more moments where you've wanted to throw the cell phone against the wall? What weighs heavier on that scale of balance? Heavier amounts of peace? Lesser amounts of peace? I think how you define peace largely determines whether or not you have peace in your life. So that's why I've given you these six that we're going to look at this morning, how you define peace. And there's six of them, six different definitions for peace in the Bible. I'm going to show you the first one up on the screen. So I'm going to ask you to test yourself this morning and measure your definition of peace and see if it matches any one of these particular six. The first one is a Hebrew word, comes from the Old Testament, and it's the word sheket. And it's the absence of conflict. Okay, So here's how it's used. Here's how the word sheket appears in Scripture. It comes from when God was talking to David and told King David that he was going to give him a son. Here's the verse. It comes from 1 Chronicles 22.9. Behold, a son will be born to you who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. For his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. So we see there the word shaket, meaning the absence of conflict. I will give shaket and quiet to Israel in his days. But we understand that the peace of this type, shaket, is time limited. God said, I'll give it to Israel in his days while Solomon's on earth. So it's a temporary type of peace. But it's an absence of conflict. The next one is the protection from attack. Maybe that's one that you can identify with. I don't know what kind of a work environment that you're in necessarily every day. Maybe it's a hostile work environment and you need protection from attack. The word there is shamar. This is the way it's used in Scripture. It's Hebrew word also. Shamar means to hedge about, to guard, generally to protect, attend to, be aware, preserve, a watchman. So it's protection from attack. Perhaps people who are in the military or people who are in law enforcement would like to know that kind of peace. But again, that's time limited. And that comes actually from a Hebrew blessing. Number 624, you'll see that on the screen. The blessing we're really familiar with. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord bless you and shamar you. Meaning, build a hedge of protection around you. But again, that one's time limited also. Not bad, but it's time limited. The third one is this one. It's uh, related to forced peace. It's the word shakat, another Hebrew word. It means to repose, appease, or be at quiet rest. And this is how it's used in Scripture when military forces came to terms of agreement. And it was a forced peace through domination usually. So here's the uh, verse that it's used in, Judges 8.28. Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel, so that they lifted up their heads no more. And the country was in quietness, Sheket, 40 years in the days of Gideon. So Sheket, that kind of peace is good. It's forced, though, but it's also time limited. Here's a fourth one. This one will really set you back if you've ever really thought about how hard it would be to work through the law, the sacrificial system. And we have it easy today, folks that we live in the age of grace. 
where we live under the, the covering of Jesus dying for us, and so therefore we don't have to work through the sacrificial system the way the people did in the Old Testament. This next one is related to making peace with God, and it was a works-based peace. It's the word that's used here is shalem, not shalom that we hear many Israelites use, but shalem. And here's what it means. A sacrifice in thanks, a peace offering. And it comes from the book of Leviticus. Ever read the book of Leviticus? You want some good nighttime sleeping? Read the book of Leviticus. It's, it's the law. It's the sacrificial system. And it talks about how to make peace with God by doing steps of works. So let me give you this five verses that are associated with it, and you'll see how laborious this working of peace, for peace, really was. Look with me on the screen, Leviticus 7.11. And this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings. This is God speaking. Which he shall offer unto the Lord. If he offer it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer it with a sacrifice of thanksgiving, unleavened cakes mingled with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and cakes mingled with oil, of fine flour fried. Besides the cakes, he shall offer for his offering leavened bread with a sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offerings. And not done yet. And of it he shall offer one out of the whole oblation for a heave offering unto the Lord. And he shall be the... And it shall be the priest that sprinkleth the blood of the peace offerings. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day that it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. You imagine how burdensome it was to live under the law? This is just one of hundreds of laws that they had to follow. And this yoke, this weight of living under the law was burdensome to people. So this peace here, to make peace with God, was also time-limited. As long as you did all the steps and you continue to follow through the process. So this word here, shalem, means to make a peace offering. Here's the fifth one, a negotiated peace. And it's the word also shalem, but it has a different enunciation for it. And it's literally the kind of peace that we make in the car as parents with our kids when we say, would you just give me a moment of silence, please? It's a negotiated peace. You negotiate with your family members for that moment of silence. Now here's the sixth one. It's a future peace. It's the peace that we're most familiar with at Christmas time when we think of the arrival of the King of Kings. It comes from the prophecy back in the Old Testament, Isaiah 9, 6. I'm going to give you the verse first this time. Isaiah 9, 6 says this, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Now that's the word that we're most familiar with when we think of people of Israel. When they come to a Jewish person, confronts a Jewish person on the street, and they say to them, Shalom. That's where this word is used at. Let me give you the definition for shalom. Shalom, health, prosperity, favor, plus friends, times great, good health, times perfect, prosperous, rest, safety, all is well, happy. So when a Jewish person sees a Jewish person and they say shalom, they're asking for this blessing upon that person. 
So when this was written, this prophecy about this king of kings, this prince of peace that would be arriving, it was a future peace because no one has achieved that kind of peace yet. Shalom has never arrived. There has never been perfect health. There's never been perfect prosperity, perfect relationships. So that's a future peace yet to arrive, yet it's associated with the arrival of the king. So here's a seventh piece that is in the New Testament, and it's spoken of always associated with Jesus. And it's the word arene. I'll show you the definition for you in just a minute. So think of it in this term. When God sent the angels to appear before the shepherds, and they said the announcement that one had been born in Bethlehem of Judea, the one who would bring peace upon the earth, they said it was the arrival of the Prince of Peace. They brought the blessing and they said, we declare on you, we declare to you, among men there will be peace. Specifically, what kind of peace were the angels talking about? Because we haven't certainly seen peace arrive on the earth. Look with me up on the screen at Luke 2.13 and this is the declaration from the angels. And suddenly there appeared with, an angel, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on the earth, you can fill it in, peace among men with whom he is pleased. The first thing we should notice when we see this kind of peace, if this is the kind of peace you're longing for, is that it's conditional. Do you notice that it says, Peace upon men with whom he is pleased? What does it take for God to be pleased with you in order to know this arene, to achieve the peace of God? Any of us who live on this planet of adult thinking minds understand that to achieve peace, a price has to be paid. There must be someone who's paid the ultimate sacrifice to achieve peace. We understand in war there cannot be peace until someone's paid the ultimate sacrifice. And then peace is ushered in. But we ask ourselves, but who or what could pay the price of peace so large of a price tag to bring peace to the conflict of this world, the conflict of the entire planet, the sin of this world? Well, the Old Testament answers that for us by using the word peace again. Look with me on the screen at Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. The word chastisement means the cost, the punishment, the punishment cost of our peace. That's what it says. Our peace was on Jesus, and with his stripes we are healed. So this irene peace that's always associated with Jesus has a very specific meaning. On your computers, you have a default button. Very typically, we find ourselves in a situation where our computer jams up and we have to hit the power button and reset it, reboot it again. That's what the word irene means, to set it one again. Look with me up on the screen at the definition for it. Prosperity, quietness, rest, plus to set at one again. This word irene is the word that Jesus always used associated with himself. Not a time-limited peace, not a negotiated peace, not an absence of conflict peace, 
but in a reine peace. So as you hear those six other definitions and this seventh one, irene, I ask the question, what kind of peace are you looking for? Are you looking for the irene peace, the one in which the default button is hit and the slate is wiped clean? Jesus said that he will wipe away all of our sins as far as the east is from the west. That's what ushers in this kind of peace. See, if you try and make peace with God through works, you're going to run into the same wall that Israel ran into, constantly going through the labors of trying to figure out, how do I make peace with God by doing this and this and this? You can't work in enough homeless shelters and feed enough homeless people to earn that kind of peace. You can't give away enough money to earn that kind of peace. You can only receive the free gift of God. Because all those other forms that we talked about are temporary, especially the works-based one in which you have to do it over and over and over again. The irene peace, the peace of God, that's permanent. That's the peace that passes all understanding. That's what was spoken of in Philippians 4.7. You see that on the screen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus and the arene of God. That's the word that's used there. So you'd have to say, how do I get that kind of peace? How do I get the kind of peace that sets the reset button so that everything is wiped clean and I get this brand new beginning with God? God said his peace, the peace that passes all understanding, his peace will rest on those with whom he favors, those whom he is pleased with. Think of what God said from heaven to Jesus when he was baptized. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. When we accept Jesus Christ and receive him as our Savior, God is pleased with us. The type of peace we're talking about cannot be sought through purchasing the latest iPod, the newest big screen television, the sweater that you really wanted for Christmas, because all those things fade away. They're temporary, like the previous six pieces we talked about. There's only one who brings the peace to our heart, and there's literally only one who can do it. That's the one we're going to celebrate with communion this morning. If you're trying to find the highest level of peace, the kind that survives, no matter what the circumstance, through the bad medical reports, through the stock changes, you need the arena peace. So this is the way Jesus literally used it. John 14, 27. Irene, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Why? Because Jesus knew this. You're still going to get the cell phone calls you don't want to get. Your stock market reports are still going to go up and down. Your bank statement may not read the way you want it to. And that big screen television you have, it's going to burn out one day. So Jesus says, I don't give you the kind of peace of the way the world gives it to you. He said this in John 16, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Would you read that together with me? Look up on the screen, John 16, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. 
Did you notice that he said back in John 14, it's my peace and I give it to you? In order to give something to someone, you have to own it, right? So Jesus says, it's mine and it's my peace that I give to you. And I give it to you not as the world gives it to you. It's one that you set aside separately from everything else associated with the world. It's mine and I give it to you. So it's very remarkable to me that the things that we are least likely to want to surrender, when we finally surrender them to God, he brings this overwhelming sense of peace upon us, doesn't he? It's amazing when we finally surrender to God the things that he's been asking for, that he floods our hearts with peace, this irene type of peace. As we look back over the last couple of weeks when we looked at the concept of surrender through the eyes of Joseph and through the eyes of the wise men, and then last week we looked at Jesus ultimately surrendering everything in heaven, all the glories of heaven, to come to earth, we understand that surrender leads to perfect relationship with God, the peace of God that passes all understanding. That's what we celebrate this morning with communion. This is why we're here, because we have found that relationship through surrendering to God. So we get this privilege of being reminded of the ultimate price that was paid for us when Jesus was crucified and then rose again the third day. And communion is kind of like a reset button for us. It takes us back to that point where we say, that's what it's all about. I remember, I'm being refreshed. That's why he gave it to us. So in keeping with our New Hope tradition of reading to you from 1 Corinthians, let me read 1 Corinthians 11 for the instructions on how we do communion. 